Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and descended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithfield, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, October 23rd, we are studying Amos chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. The prophet continues to speak the Lord's word of judgment, but now he begins to turn a significant corner. No longer are the Lord's judgments directed against pagan nations. In today's text, which is the seventh in the series of eight, the Lord speaks his judgment against his own people, the southern kingdom, Judah. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Zelwyn Heidi. Pastor Heidi serves at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Grassy Butte, North Dakota, and St. Peter Lutheran Church in Belfield, North Dakota. Pastor Heidi, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Glad to be back with you. Should be a good time. I thoroughly enjoy the book of Amos, so this this will be a good time. <laughs> Very good. So, Pastor Heidi, as, as I said in the intro, this text does begin to turn a corner in the book of Amos. And so it would probably be good as we get started to just review where Amos has been, what's he been doing in the verses leading up to the text that we're going to look at today. Yeah, sure. Uh as you mentioned, there are a series of eight um, oracles or prophecies or judgments, rather, against these various people groups. And up until this point, Amos has been talking against the foreign nations which surround Israel, which surround the two kingdoms. And really, his point here is not only to bring a word against those nations, but also to kind of circle around until he gets to his ultimate target, the ultimate theme of this book, which is Israel. Now, of course, he's talking about Judah today, but this is, like you say, the, the significant turn, the corner, because now Amos is finally getting to where he's been aiming all along. Up until this point, it's just kind of been a, a preliminary until he can finally circle in and go right for where he's trying to go. Which, right, and I think it's a helpful thing that you said there that when Amos does what he does in the first six oracles of judgment that he's got. He is intending to speak the word of the Lord to those nations. It's not only a rhetorical device, as other pastors have put it, to get Israel into a bit of a lull so that they're surprised, shocked when, when Amos finally does get to them. But the Lord really does have a word to speak against them, and we shouldn't ignore that. At the same time, there is that rhetorical device that's going on. He's he's circling, and and it's not a perfect circle if you look at it geog geographically, but every time he does get a bit closer, it would seem, to God's people, until in today's text, he comes to the people of Judah, which is the southern kingdom. And we've talked a little bit about this on the program before, Pastor Heidi, in other episodes, that we are in the period of what's called the divided monarchy. God's people, Israel— as for example, as we use that term when we were studying the book of Exodus, the whole people of Israel are now divided into two different kingdoms. The southern one is Judah. The northern one is, is usually called Israel. And, and so today we're talking about Judah. And I know for me personally, as I think about my knowledge of the scriptures, it really wasn't until I took an Old Testament course in college that I really had a, a firmer grasp on this part of Old Testament history, the period of the divided monarchy. So as we prepare today to talk about Judah, can you help lay some of that groundwork for us in terms of what the divided monarchy monarchy is? Who is Judah? What's their relationship to the, the northern kingdom Israel at this point? Just give us some of that context for us before we start looking at Amos 2 particularly. Sure. And it's understandable that there's some confusion. I mean, this does make up like, you know, a good two thirds of the Bible with the divided monarchy. So it's a lot of ground to cover. But the, the basic outline is, is that after the days of David and then Solomon, after Solomon dies, Rehoboam, his son, uh, isn't very wise, and he causes the two kingdoms to split. 
okay? And the, the two tribes follow after Rehoboam, and that would be uh, Judah and also Benjamin. And those two tribes form what is called the Southern Kingdom. The other 10 tribes separate away from uh, Judah, away from those other two tribes, and raise up for themselves another king, and that is Jeroboam. And Jeroboam, and like all of the kings of Israel, were all evil, wicked men. I mean, there was not a good one among them. Judah at least had some bad, some good, and it was kind of a mixture, but Israel had all bad kings. Jeroboam led them into idolatry. And so by the time we get down to the book of Amos, which is actually towards the very end of the divided monarchy, um, Israel itself is about to go away into exile uh, within a, a hundred, or, hundred or two years. Um, what we're dealing with is a kingdom which has been firmly entrenched in idolatry and firmly entrenched in all of these things. And, and it's sometimes at war with the southern kingdom, sometimes in alliance with the southern kingdom, but just generally kind of going their own way. Do you want to add to that? Or Sure. And, and so that's, that, that gets us in terms of Israel. And I think the, the points that they're firmly entrenched in idolatry by this point, when you hear of the kings of Israel in, for example, the, book of, the books of Kings, it always mm -hmm. says that they did what was evil in the eyes of the Lord. And the reason is because they never got rid of that sin that Jeroboam the first led them into, which was the the two golden calves, one in the north in Dan and one in the south in Bethel. And that that history is going to become important as we move after this text into the judgment against Israel and then to the rest of the book of Amos. That's where his preaching is going to be directed. For our purposes today, we're looking specifically at Judah. And as you mentioned, sometimes you do have what I, I mean, just to be simple, good kings as opposed to bad kings. And and the good kings are those who did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. They walked in the footsteps of David is sometimes the, the ways that it's described. One of the key things that we should know about the Southern Kingdom that I, I would want to add is that their kings are in the same dynastic line. They're all in the line of David. And and that's that's important, especially as we get later into the book of Amos, where the Lord's going to talk about raising up the fallen booth of David, that we're talking southern southern kingdom. And, and then too, just to point out, again, to emphasize, sometimes the people of Judah and the people of Israel are on friendly terms, they're allied with one another, and sometimes they're attacking one another. And I, I think generally, and you could correct me if I'm wrong, I think generally, at least until the exile that the northern kingdom goes into about 40 years after Amos, Generally, Israel is probably the more powerful of the two politically, and Judah is their, I don't know, weaker, younger brother to an extent. If you look at it politically, economically, is that mostly true? I think that's fair, because um, you're dealing with the northern kingdom, which is very often trying to regain lost territory from Syria. Um, they're often entering into alliances with foreign powers. I would say that, yeah, this is a time of uh, you know, general power for the Northern Kingdom. And if I remember correctly, too, uh, with the time where Amos is speaking, it's actually kind of a high point in the Northern Kingdom's history. Um, this is kind of when everything is going well for them, which is why when he brings up his um, words against them about, you know, being at ease or being, you know, generally wealthy, that is a real concern that is, that is causing them to go even further astray than they already have. So, Amos is bringing a very stern word of judgment at a time when uh, Israel thinks that, well, everything is going just great. So, And I think that's important, too, <clears throat> to notice, because right before Amos is going to come out against Israel, he deals with Judah. And it's probably also right. worth pointing out at this point, too, that Amos is actually from Judah. Tekoa, the town of, of his residence that we find out in the first verse, that's near Bethlehem. It's it's in the territory of Judah. And so, again, just to, to notice the genius of Amos here and the way that he lays this out, he's got six oracles against foreign nations. His seventh, which would be a, a number of completion, a number of climax, is against Judah, the place that he's from. He's going to hit them hard now. You think about where he's going next, right? He's he's really setting up Israel for what's what's coming. At the same time, we need to pay attention to what he says to Judah as well. 
And so I think, Pastor Heidi, unless you have more introductory comments, let's go ahead and, and read these words from Amos chapter 2 and start digging in. Do you have anything nope. more to add in terms of context background? Nope, go ahead. All right, so we're in Amos chapter 2, verses 4 and 5 this morning. Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Judah, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment, because they have rejected the law of the Lord and have not kept his statutes. But their lies have led them astray, those after which their fathers walked. So I will send a fire upon Judah, and it shall devour the strongholds of Jerusalem. There's the text that we have before us today. Pastor Heidi, there's some familiar territory again. It starts with, thus says the Lord. You've got these three transgressions, or for four, the matter of not revoking the punishment. But then there's something that's different when it comes to the actual transgression that the Lord points out against Judah. What's different about that transgression that he points out against Judah that we haven't seen in the previous six? Well, the the difference here, and it might even seem kind of minor to us in our way of thinking, is that the sin of Judah is not some great <clears throat> war crime or you know some great terrible thing like it has been for every one of the uh, six nations up to this point, but they're the, the thing that, that uh, Amos is accusing them of is breaking God's law, of, not, of actually rejecting his law, of not keeping his statutes, and following after lies. And so this is, again, something that is rather different in character, rather different in tone, at least to our first hearing, because we would say, well, that doesn't seem nearly so bad as like, you know, ripping open pregnant women or, you know, like, brutally murdering other people it's like what's the big deal why is this such a a why does amos bring this up right mm. yeah you're, you're right and i think this this ties in very well to our modern context and the way that we tend to view sins the sins that make the news and, and here i mean like secular media the ones that draw our attention are those sins of great brutality sins like abortion, sins against God's gift of sexuality and marriage. Those are the ones that tend to draw our greatest ire, the ones that draw the most attention from us. Or to put it more theologically, it's the second table sins that tend to draw our attention, the ones that we consider the most serious, those sins against our neighbor. But now the Lord turns and reminds us, he reminds the people of Judah, that there's a first table of the law too, the Lord's word, the Lord's, how do you love the Lord? Are you loving him with all your heart, soul, mind, strength? And that's that's what we need, I think, to see here, that this is just as important, if not worse, than the sins that are listed previously. Help us keep drawing some of those connections out, Pastor Heidi. Well, and I, it's good that you mentioned the worst part, because I think that's really ultimately where we need to go. And you think of like Paul, for example, in the book of Romans, talking about, you know, in Romans chapter one, about how the, the pagans did all of these things in the, in, and were kind of deadening their conscience through it. But it's so much worse for you to know what God wants you to do and to not do it. Mm-hmm. And that's really what, what, what this is being driven at here is that when you come at God's law, and you know what he wants of you, and you say, no, I don't want to do it, or no, I'm going to continue in sin, that is you know, doing something and, and receiving a greater judgment because you knew what God wanted you to do. Whereas the one who at least didn't explicitly know the law can, you know, have, and he will receive a lighter judgment because you know, he didn't know what God wanted him to do, at least explicitly. But you, but the ones who do and still walk against it anyway are walking in extremely dangerous line, which is why mm. what Judah's judgment here is, is actually the worst yet out of all of the six that have come. You know, not even these great war crimes compare with knowing the will of God and walking deliberately against what he wants you to do, which is what yeah. Judah is doing. Yeah, yeah, no, and and this, I mean, we we really probably can't emphasize this enough because it is those those very great sins in the eyes of man, and not to diminish how evil those things are. The things that we've heard from these foreign nations, ripping open pregnant women, burning bones to lime, casting off all pity, all of all of these, forgetting the covenant of brotherhood. These are terrible 
great transgressions that the Lord is is rightly going to give his his wrath against these people for. But if we if we and the, uh, you said it so well to know the Lord's word and to purposely not do it. This this is worse still. It's because not only are you not doing his will, but you're you're not doing it knowingly. You're breaking both tables of the law knowingly. You're not loving God. You're not loving your neighbor. And and to see that the first table of the law really is the foundation for the second, I think is is something that's just as important, right? All of these these ta- these sins that the people have been committing in the first six oracles are all sins against their neighbor, crimes against humanity, you might say. Now, what's the foundation for that? Well, it's it's not knowing who the Lord is. These other nations didn't know who the Lord is. They fell into sin. The tragedy of Judah, they had the Lord's word. They knew who the Lord was, and they still did the same things. And and that makes it all the worse. And, And I really think that's why we, we as the church, we as Christians, we need to pay attention to this text, especially as a warning against what we would fall into. What do you think, Pastor Heidi? Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's exactly the point. And when Judah allows, well, and this is, this is probably what makes it even worse still, is that Judah probably at least knew on some level what they were supposed to be doing. They probably even thought that they were, you know, doing it. You know, how often in the Old Testament do you get these uh, mixed worship of them serving these other gods and thinking that they're serving the true God at the same time, right? So it's this thing, this idea that we're not really breaking the law. We're just kind of, you know, we're just kind of doing it our own way. And that makes it even, even more serious because they're allowing their own pleasures. They're allowing their own ideas. They're allowing their own desires to get in the way of actually following after God. You think of, for example, in uh, 1 Samuel chapter 15, where Saul offers up uh, a sacrifice to God, but he wasn't supposed to do it. And Samuel comes up and says to him, you know, uh, to offer up, to do this, you know, out of disobedience is, is worse than, you know, necromancy or any of these other sins. God wants us to listen to what he want, to what he says and not to just say, oh, well, I'm going to interpret it on my own way, or I'm going to, you know, just not listen at all. You know, mm. ob- obedience to the law is an important thing, because this right. is God's will. Right, yeah, that that First Samuel 15 text is is really a, an important one to keep in mind. And and I think, if I, if I recall it right, it, it, it says to obey, or in Hebrew, to listen, right? It's, it's all based on listening. To listen is better than to sacrifice. Samuel tells right. him. It's not that not that listening is better than like necromancy. That that's evil, of course, right? But to listen is to, is better than to sacrifice. The Lord wants us to hear his word and to do what it says. Saul's problem there was that he thought that his sacrifice would be acceptable apart from what the Lord had said. And it wasn't. It it all comes back to what the Lord has said. That's that's the key. And that's what Judah had. <laughs> Judah had the word of the Lord. And they even had it, to, to draw that contrast between the northern and the southern kingdom, Judah even had it right there in the temple. They weren't engaged in the, the idolatrous shrines of, of Bethel and Dan. They had the temple. They had the Davidic monarchy. If anybody should have known better, <laughs> it was Judah. But they didn't. And, and that's what makes this rejection of the law of the Lord, even though it doesn't sound as bad as ripping open pregnant women, this rejection of the law of the Lord is is really far worse. Pastor Heidi? Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, and it just really comes back to that point again, too, that uh, the one who who knows what, who does what deserves a beating and knew it will receive the severer beating. And I don't remember where that is in the Gospels, but the one who did it when didn't know about it will receive the lighter. It is a far greater sin to do what you're not, what you know you're not supposed to be doing, and I think we even know that kind of on an instinctual level because when our, well, take like for example with your kids, if your kids do something that they shouldn't be doing, but they don't really, they didn't really know, like let's say they're just really little and they did something they didn't know any better, yeah, you still want to discipline them, but you kind of give them a little bit of slack, but if they deliberately disobey you 
and know that you're not and know that they're not supposed to be doing that, that changes the whole situation. Mm-hmm. And the same is true of God's law. When we know what he wants and we refuse to do it, that is a greater sin than doing something that is is wrong, but we didn't know any better. So Right. And and that's true. I think to, to go back to something else you were saying, that is, you know, you, you said they probably thought they were doing it. They right. they thought they were doing something good for God. King Saul is the perfect example of this. He thought he was doing something good by making these sacrifices. But because he was doing it apart from the Lord's word, it was actually evil, something that he should not have done at all. It was straight up disobedience. And and you're exactly right with when it comes to to children, right? And and especially, you know, when when your children think they're doing something good, right? They they think they're helping by by doing this. Even though you told them to do something else, you they they think they're helping. They weren't listening. And that's that's what the Lord desires is that we would listen to him. It it, it really comes back to the first commandment and the matter of faith to trust that what the Lord says is better than anything that we could ever think of. I mean, it, it, this is really, this is a very foundational topic for the whole of Christianity, for the, the whole of reading the scriptures, that we would trust what the Lord says above all else. And that that is what Judah has failed to do. And, and so I, I think, and feel free to, to respond to that, Pastor Heidi, but that, that may allow us to, to turn the corner a bit into the, the next part of this. Amos says, as it's translated in the, the English Standard Version, they have rejected the law of the Lord. And we've got about four minutes left here before the break, so we can at least get started on this conversation. It's, it's worth our time, I think, to talk about what this is. Because, especially for us as Lutheran pastors, when we hear the word law, often our minds are drawn to law and gospel, commands and promises. Is that all that's going on here in the word law of the Lord, or is there more that Amos wants us to hear? I think when we're dealing with the question of the word law, there is a kind of bigger understanding, especially in the Old Testament, that we should take away, although it will help us to understand the New Testament as well, because it helps us to see what God intends with his law. And the, the Hebrew word, and I don't normally bring up you know the words themselves, but I think this is helpful, is a Torah, the, the Torah of the Lord. And this word, which we translate frequently as law, could also be understood in other ways, you know, like uh, instruction, uh, this kind of, uh, I mean, I, I don't, I can't think of all the different ways, but the, what I want to get at with this word is that it actually carries with it a very interesting kind of color. And that is, it's a directional word. Um, Torah is related to another word, which means like to shoot an arrow. So in other words, the, the word itself is directed to something. When we're talking about God's law, we're talking about a goal. We're talking about a path. We're talking about a way. And you can think of how many times in the Old Testament, especially, um, you know, we talk about walking in the law of the Lord or walking in his ways, not turning aside from the right or, from, or to the right or to the left. This idea of moving somewhere. Okay. Mm. And I think that's really at play here when we're talking about Judah, because they were not walking in the direction they were supposed to walk. They were walking in a different direction. And I know we're kind of running out of time before the break here. So how do you want to react to that before we go into break? Well, just so we still got about two minutes here. But but yeah, to, to recognize that the words law of the Lord, Torah mm-hmm. of Yahweh, is is more than simply his commands. I, I think that that's where I would at least get us started talking about. Okay. And so to envision it as, as something wider, it certainly involves his commands. We don't want to minimize that. But when we, when we hear Amos talking about they have rejected the law of the Lord, it's not only that they've rejected the Ten Commandments, say. And, and maybe that's a good place to, to go as we, we wrap up this segment, just because we, we just finished the book of Exodus. 
and and hopefully we'll remember that in Exodus chapter 20, before the Lord gives what we refer to as the Ten Commandments or the Ten Words, the first thing he tells them is he tells them who he is. I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of the house of slavery, out of the land of Egypt. That was a, a paraphrase, but that's the basic gist. He tells them who he is. The Torah, the law of the Lord, includes that, which is a promise. It, it's part of this, as you've, you've said, this direction, this way that they are going to walk. And that way of walking starts with faith. And so to recognize the law of the Lord here is a bigger thing. Instruction is a good word for it, that you, you brought that up. Teaching. Um, even, even sometimes you could just say they've, they've lost his, his word, right? To, to use a term that we would use still today. So that's, that's an introduction. We can keep continuing that conversation on the other side of the break here on Sharper Iron as we look at Amos 2, verses 4 through 5. We are going to take that short break right now, but we'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233, 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron on this Wednesday, October 23rd. We are looking at Amos chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, with Pastor Zelwyn Heidi of Redeemer Lutheran Church in Grassy Butte, North Dakota, and St. Peter Lutheran Church in Belfield, North Dakota. Pastor Heidi, prior to the break, we were looking at this term, the law of the Lord, the Torah of Yahweh. That's the Hebrew behind it, as you pointed out. And you were, you're telling us that this is a directional word. How, how is that important for us to see the idea of a direction behind it, a way, as we think about it in terms of what Amos is doing here? Very often when we think of the word law, we very often think in terms of like specific do's and don'ts. You know, this kind of like, don't do this, don't do that. We get so caught up on the, the what of, you know, the, the actual commandments and prescriptions of the law that we forget that what God is doing in the law is making us to be something else. Uh, when we are redeemed, because, you know, we're sinners, we break the law, Christ sets us back into the way, back into the way that we should be walking. So we become more and more like him, and becoming more and more like him also means that we are uh, following after what God wants us to do, you know, walking in the way of, of the law more and more. And what Judah has been doing, unfortunately, has been turning aside from this way and trying to walk their own way. And that's that's really the, the, the key sin that is going on here, is this, instead of walking where God would have them go, he's he, they are turning aside to their own notions, right? Right, yeah, the, the walking language, I think, is a helpful thing to, to pick up on. When you talk about walking in the law, the the passage that comes to mind for me is Ephesians chapter 2, and, mm -hmm. and we know verses 8 and 9, and we should not forget verses 8 and 9. I, I want to keep this connection in mind. You know, verses 8 and 9, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And then verse 10 comes along and, and connects this talk of, of walking there with us, right? We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works that we might walk in them. These good works are, are ones that he would have us walk in them. And so I, I think that's a, that is a helpful way of looking at the law, the Torah. It helps us to see it as, as more all-encompassing. And, mm -hmm. and two, I, I want to focus back in on what you said earlier about when we are redeemed, Christ sets us into the way, which I, I also think helps us keep this all-encompassing thing. The law for us as Christians comes to us as a gift because of the gospel, because of what Christ has done for us. Again, to, to use that example from Exodus 20, right? The Lord is the one who redeemed his people from slavery in Egypt. Now 
here's what he's giving you. This is the way in which you are to walk as his gift, as those who've who've been redeemed. And 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 that that I think ties in with what Amos is doing as well, because after he he tells the people of Judah that they've rejected the Lord's law, that they've not kept his statutes, he brings up this matter again. It, it uses that walking language. Their lies have led them astray. What are what are the lies that have led the people astray? Yeah, and this is this is in, an interesting word choice that he uses here. And I think that the the lies that he's talking about is his way of talking about like a false word. It's his way of talking about idolatry in general. So in other words, it's not just that they're breaking a specific commandment as if they're like violating the eighth commandment and that's what's getting them into trouble. But what's happening here is that they're walking after that, which is a lie, that which is not God, um, whether that be their idols, whether that be the false word that they are hearing. And we're going to encounter that with uh, later, even in Amos, um, I think, it, what is it, Amos chapter eight with uh uh, who is the high priest that that speaks against Amos? Amos uh, seven, Am- Amaziah, yeah. Amos seven, yeah, Amaziah, uh, who's telling him not to preach this word because this is the king's sanctuary. And Amos comes in and says, you know, I I have I'm going to preach it anyway because this is what God has told me to do. Um, this kind of false word, this false worship, these um, attractive kind of lies is what Judah has been going after. And that's really what Amos is taking them to task for here, is the uh, false worship that they are walking in and the kind of the anti-Torah, going aside to the left or to the right and thinking that they are still serving God in the process. So... I like that, the the anti-Torah. And and I think think we should, we, we need to make this connection that the lies that have led them astray aren't just generic falsehoods, but they are false gods. They are idols. And there are some English translations that actually do take this verse in Amos chapter 2 as their idols or their false gods have led them astray. And I, I think that's that's so important because the, the rejection of the law of the Lord isn't only about, as you said, the do's and the don'ts, but it is about which god are you worshiping? Where is your faith because you you become like the object we've mentioned this many times here on sharper iron you become like the thing you worship and so to to have put your faith in a false god well that's going to lead to to lies it's going to lead into walking the false path and, and so i mean i think i think we could we could spend a little bit of time talking about this pastor heidi especially when you think about oh for example in first corinthians chapter 10 where Paul's talking about idol worship. He tells us what's behind idol worship. Even though idols aren't real, there's something behind them, and that is Satan and his lies. You think about Satan as the father of lies, John chapter 8, and, and what he does from the very beginning. He's he's lying to Adam and Eve. And so, I mean, all of this is, is to say, and I'd love to hear your response, is that Amos is really attacking the idolatry of the people of Judah here. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And you think, well, you think even in Old Testament terms, too, uh, how often you have the presentation of the two ways, the way of life, which is the Torah, and the way of death, as it is often called, the way of destruction. Um, And even in like Proverbs, for example, uh, where Solomon is using the imagery of a a harlot, of a, a, a prostitute, calling people aside from the way that they should be walking, leading them ultimately into their own destruction. You know, the woman folly is loud, and she is trying to draw attention to herself, but those who follow after her are going to ultimately turn aside from the way that they ought to be going. And so Solomon calls again and again in the book of Proverbs, you know, walk in the the right way, turn to the way of life. You know, don't don't go after this false woman, as, as he describes it, but go after, you know, wisdom, the, the, the lady wisdom and her and the, the goods that she is she is offering. But this but yeah, this this imagery, even even Jesus talks about this, you know, saying the, the narrow way and the broad way. 
the narrow way which leads unto life and there be few that find it but or the broad way that leads unto destruction and there be many that find it um this this duality between the torah and the anti-torah to use that word again is throughout the scriptures and we really don't want to miss that so that it's not a light thing to turn away from the way of the lord right right uh, so to to go on with with proverbs uh, i think that's a wonderful example because again it, it it invites us to recognize that this is more more than just what we're doing i mean when we think about how does proverbs define wisdom and and knowledge right Wisdom and knowledge starts with the fear of the Lord, recognizing mm-hmm. who He is and who you are in relation to Him, which is is a matter of of faith. That that's a, a key thing, and and then again to to go with, you know, uh, another example would be Psalm one: "Blessed is the man who walks." There's that language of walking, not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law in the Torah of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And then the the psalmist there compares the one who meditates on the law to be like a, a tree that's that's flourishing by the streams of water. And then he talks about the wicked. They're they're not like that. They're just like chaff that the wind drives away. So this this idea of, of two ways, whether it's Torah or anti-Torah, that that's foundational for for biblical knowledge it's foundational for Amos chapter 2 and it's it's more than what you do but it is a matter of of which god do you trust and to have the right trust is to walk in the correct way and to have the wrong trust is to do what the people of Judah are doing here in in Amos chapter 2 and it's it's not just what the people of Judah at in you know 760 BC or so are doing, but the prophet also brings up that this is something that they were given by their fathers. The the same idols that the people of Judah are currently following, these are the idols that their fathers were walking after as well. What do you think, Pastor Heidi? Yeah, and this is also something that I think we don't talk enough about uh, with the scriptures is that there is such a thing as collective guilt. Um, we usually speak about it in terms of original sin, and I think that's about the only place we talk about it, because we get so caught up in individuals and individual sin that we forget that uh, fathers uh, very often lead their children into sin. And so a sin becomes generational more than just um, you know individual. Is it true that the individual is guilty for that collective sin? Yes, that, that's how original sin works. We are guilty because of what Adam has done, because Adam is our head. Um, But when we're talking about, like with Judah here, their fathers were the ones who first went astray and first began to worship false idols, even as early as Egypt. I mean, probably even before that point. I mean, like Rachel with her household gods and stuff like that. So this kind of uh, continual past on sin is something that is leading every generation further and further astray. And they all become kind of equally guilty of it, right? Yes, yes, they do. And so I, you, you say that collective sin, this this term that, that you're collective guilt, I think was the term that you use, is something maybe we don't right. talk enough about. Mm-hmm. How, how should we talk more about it? And, and how is that going to be helpful for us? What Draw that out for us. Sure. Well, I think I think we don't talk about it enough because, like I said, we we focus so much on individual sins that we forget that you know God sometimes deals with us in terms of groups. So, like for example, um, the 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 nation of Egypt um, was punished as a whole for the sin of Pharaoh in particular, and so and it is perfectly just for God to do that. So, when we're dealing like with nations, for example, and national sins. Um, we sh- we have to be very careful because, you know, God might very well be visiting the sins of the nation upon the whole nation, which is why when we're dealing like with some of the social issues of our day that, you know, we wonder like, you know, how can things get the way that they are? You know, why does it seem like things are getting worse and worse? Well, maybe we are being handed over to judgment. Now, that doesn't mean that God is going to forsake his church or something like that, but, you know, whole groups of people can suffer um, 
judgment for a particular sin. And that's what's happening here as well, right? I, yes, yes, I, I, I think you're exactly right, and, and we should recognize that reality. I think, I think where the struggle comes in for us as, as Christians is how do, how do we respond to that as those who do seek to be faithful to the Lord's Word? And, and granted, as you said, original sin affects us all, and we are all guilty for that original sin. But I mean, you know, think think about the the remnant that was there in Judah, because we know that right. there was a remnant of those who are faithful, and and think about Christians today seeking to be faithful in the midst of the world's unfaithfulness. Mm-hmm. How do how do we deal with that? How do we respond to those things? All the I mean, does that make sense? What I'm asking? Yep, yep. No, it does. Well, the first thing is to recognize that if we are undergoing a judgment. Um, God will still work all things together for good for those who love him. The, those, uh, the remnant that was in Israel, those who sighed and groaned over the, the abominations that were being done in her, as in the language of Ezekiel, um, they still had to go away into exile. They still had to suffer the horrors of being dragged away from their land for 70 years before they could come back. That did not mean that God hated them. What it meant was is that even though judgment was coming upon them, he was going to use that particular thing to do something far greater than they could even imagine in the midst of all of those troubles. So when we as Christians are struggling to be faithful in a world which increasingly seems more and more hostile to the gospel, we have to remember that if God brings judgment upon our nation, that's not, that doesn't mean that he's rejected us because we belong to him. We are part of another body. And even if we have to struggle being the body of Christ, God will not forsake his own. But he might, he might make us have to go undergo a discipline for a time uh, to lead us into something far greater than we can even imagine. So the, the first, I mean, at least, at least the first way that we can respond to this as those who would seek to be faithful is to recognize that that judgment, we do bear the weight of it as those who are a part of this group of people who, who have collectively been ruled by this sin. But that doesn't mean that God is forsaking us. And I think right. I would also add to that, Pastor Heidi, that, that as that judgment comes upon us, we would be right as the faithful to also reflect upon how our action or inaction contributed to the general situation and and the places yep. where where we need to repent as well. I think that would also be a, a part of our response to this as well. What do you think? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, every time a judgment comes upon uh, God's people, it is also a call to repentance. Uh, this is where Amos, this is why I love Amos so much, to be honest. Um, when we get to the, the the great chapter, chapter four, which you'll get to eventually, uh, talking about, you know, I did all of these things. I gave, I withheld the rain from you. I would send rain on one city and not another, but you did not return to me, declares the Lord. Um, all of these things are meant to call us to repentance. Um, you know, God sends the disasters. God sends the, the, the terrible thing upon us in order to call us away from our idolatries, away from our sins, and back to him as the true living God, the creator of heaven and earth. Um, yes, we should absolutely repent and think and reflect on you know why it is God is bringing this judgment upon us. Yeah, I mean, so so we don't. I guess we don't get to say, well, that's not my problem. The world needs to repent of that, but but I don't. That that would be the wrong posture to take. Right. Would would be one to say that's that's the world's fault. Which, which is a very easy posture for any of us to take, and probably, as we pointed out earlier, the posture that Israel is taking right now at this very moment. Here's judgment number seven against their neighbors, Judah. Yeah, look at all you folks. You need to repent. Well, the hammer's about to drop on Israel. They, too, need to repent. And so, I mean, it would be right for us as well, even as we recognize that God is not going to forsake us in the midst of judgment. He's going to use that to, to refine us, to, to bring our faith closer to him. But we also constantly need to be looking for that, that way that we need to repent as well, and, and never, to, never to be without repentance, because to be without repentance is to be apart from Christ, and that would be the, the anti-Torah, the, the wrong way that the Scriptures constantly 
warn us against. And any further comments on on the collective guilt, Pastor Heidi? No, I think I think that's kind of drives home the point because I think we're getting close to the end here. So sure, I do want to get yeah. to my last point. So yes, so let's let's <laughs> talk a bit about the fire then that's going to come upon Judah. We've we've seen this before. What's going on with the fire that the Lord's going to send on Judah? Yeah, the fire in Judah. I mean, this is again is kind of his literary way of talking about the judgment that is going to be coming. But we do actually see that occur in the scriptures, and I've actually kind of alluded to it already. But I think it actually goes further still, and I want to talk about that briefly. But the fire which will come on Judah, of course, is the Babylonian captivity, that God will finally send them away into exile because of their sins. And we're told very specifically in the books of Kings and the books of Second uh, Kings and Second Chronicles that it was their sins that brought this upon them. So this, this judgment, this fire, which is coming upon uh, Jerusalem, which is coming upon, you know, the great houses and all of the people of the land, except perhaps the, ve the very poorest, if I remember correctly, um, is this exile, is this judgment of being taken away into a foreign land, okay? But I think there is actually more than this, too, because, you know, looking forward to the New Testament, um, we also see another destruction of Jerusalem not in the New Testament itself, but coming shortly after, of course, in 70 AD, which is the destruction by the Romans of Jerusalem because the Jews, in their hardness of heart, Judah, in the hardness of its heart, yet again, rejects Christ. And that's not going to be something that is going to be taken lightly. This fire which will come upon this people is an emphasis, you know, to, to turn aside from the, the Torah, to turn aside from God's way, to reject the one that this way points towards, which is Jesus himself, is something that God is not going to take lightly. This is not just a minor sin to, you know, turn away from God, to turn away from Jesus. This is, I mean, it's, it's a matter of life and death. Yeah, I, I, I really, I really like that connection. So, so just to to summarize, what what you're saying is the fire that's coming upon Judah and is going to devour the strongholds of Jerusalem, happens under the Babylonians in 587, 586 BC when Nebuchadnezzar comes and sacks Jerusalem. Right. But, but it also happens in AD 70 where the the city of Jerusalem is destroyed by the Romans, and and I think I think connecting that is really important. Because that destruction of Jerusalem, Jesus describes that in the Gospels. And, and so, for example, like in Matthew 24 or Mark 13 or some of the places that you could look for that. As he's describing the fall of Jerusalem, a lot of it sounds an awful lot like the end times, too. The, the fall, not, of just the, but the, not just the judgment of Jerusalem, but the judgment of, of the world. And I, I think that's a helpful connection to make for precisely what you were saying, that, that Jerusalem is judged for rejecting the law of the Lord, for rejecting Christ, the law of the Lord incarnate, right? Christ in the flesh, the word of God made flesh. They rejected him. They are judged. And, and so it will be on the final day as well, that those who are, are judged and, and sent to the fire are those who have rejected the Torah of Yahweh made flesh, Jesus Christ. Is that, I mean, can we go that far too, Pastor Heidi? Yeah, no, I that's, that's absolutely right on point because uh, when and you think of the words of Paul, for example, when he says, you know, now is the day of salvation, you know, now is the favored time. There is this urgency uh, to the gospel because to reject Christ, to turn away from him, uh, to reject the, the offer of God's grace is a serious thing. This is not something we can just say, oh, well, there's always going to be more time because, you know, that's just what Judah was doing. You know, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. God will never send us away because we always have more time. But to reject Christ, to turn aside from the offer of salvation, to reject, you know, the, the gospel is to fall into a terrible, terrible judgment. Is it a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living of the living God? Hmm. Right? It is. It is. Pastor Heidi, we got about three minutes here left on the morning. Hit any points that you didn't get to, or give us a, a summary of what we've got here in Amos 2, 4, and 5. Well, no, it's 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 a great, it's a great book. 
it's a, a great little section that we're dealing with here. Um, it really drives home a lot of these points that we've been talking about. Um, the one thing that I perhaps would emphasize through all of it, and I probably won't take up all the time, but that's just me, is to say that, yes, it is important to remember that to break God's law is a serious thing. It is not, you know, just kind of a minor, oh, well, take it or leave it. But we should also remember that the law points towards the end of the law, that is Jesus Christ, who comes and gives us his grace and his forgiveness and enables us to walk in that way. We need him every step of the way. Judah had forgotten that. They thought that they could go after their false gods. They thought that they could go after their idolatries, thinking that they would somehow help them. But the only one who can help us, the only one who can truly make us walk in the way, in the Torah, in the way of life, the narrow way, is Jesus Christ himself. And I think that's something that we really need to remember as we consider the judgment that Amos is talking about here in Amos chapter 2. Pastor Zelwyn Heidi is the pastor at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Grassy Butte, North Dakota, and St. Peter Lutheran Church in Belfield, North Dakota, helping us this morning with Amos 2, verses 4 through 5, the judgment on Judah. Pastor Heidi, thank you for your time today. Thank you. The sins described in the first chapter of Amos, the first three verses of Amos 2, are terrible sins, horrific crimes against humanity, pregnant women being ripped open, graves being desecrated, whole populations being sold into slavery. And yet here in Amos 2, verses 4 through 5, the rejection of the law of the Lord is held out as even worse. The people of Judah had the Lord's word, and they knowingly rejected it. They followed after false gods who are nothing more than lies, lies of the devil himself. The stands as a warning for us today that we would not listen to Satan's lies, that we would not follow after ways that seem pleasing but ultimately lead to death, rather that we would follow after Christ, who is the way, the one who has earned salvation for you and for me by submitting himself to the fire of God's wrath in our place on the cross, being raised from the dead on the third day to life everlasting, to give the same to you and to me who are baptized into him, now trusting in him, walking in his way. It's a joy to do that with you here on Sharper Iron. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Thanks for spending the morning with us today. Talk to you again tomorrow.